Be sure to tune in to Tamina Talks Immigration with Tamina Watson this and every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Immigration attorney Tamina Watson founded Watson Immigration Law here in Seattle and is a frequent speaker, author, and blogger who has appeared in Forbes, CNN, The Seattle Times, and much more. On her radio show, Tamina will take all your questions live on air. Plus, she will discuss and provide insight into the latest immigration news and issues as well as talk with notable personalities who have impacted U.S. immigration laws or are notable immigrants themselves. Check out Tamina Talks Immigration Tuesdays at 10 a.m. on Desi 1250 a.m., radio that listens to you. Good morning, Seattle. This is Tamina Watson and Tamina Talks Immigration on Desi 1250 AM. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, today we have a wonderful guest. My dear friend Tim is here to talk about something new that's happening in Washington state immigration laws. But before I talk with him and introduce you to him, I'm going to talk a little bit about some other stuff that's going on. If you have questions and comments for the show or for me or even for Tim, uh, the number here is 844-301-1250. We are live on air. If you are listening uh, to us from your radio, thank you for joining in. If you have somebody at work who should listen to us, tell them to tune in at www.desi1250am.com. And of course, there is always the app that you can download from iTunes and um, the, the Google, Google Play. But we are live on Facebook. And all our viewers, thank you so much for joining us. If you have friends and family who are on Facebook, please let them know that we are uh, we've just gone live. So thank you so much for joining us. Uh, if you have questions, you can also email us at contact at desi1250am. Um, we will have the next <clears throat> half an hour with you. So we look forward to chatting about everything immigration. Um, if you did not know about our Facebook page, it's Tamina Talks Immigration Radio Show. Remember that we didn't have one for a very long time, but it's a 2017 new thing. You can interact with us. Uh, you can also find all our previous shows, um, ask questions, and, and so much more. So if you haven't liked the page, please go and like it, and also ask your friends and family to do so as well. We have over 10,000 likes already, which is which is fabulous. Um, a few updates on what has been going on. You may remember that we have been talking about the mayoral candidate event for Seattle, and we finally had that on Friday. And I have to say, I am so proud of that event. We had um, a very, very successful event where the front runner um, candidates were all there. Uh, our producer here, Dustin, helped us make sure that the equipment, the sound, everything was um, spot on and uh, the candidates had very, very thoughtful answers. If you want to know what they said, please go to the Tamina Talks Immigration radio show page where you will find the video recording of the Facebook Live video. Um, it's just over an hour long uh, and um, you'll be able to hear us all speak. Um, the other thing to know is we have had over 7,000 views on that video, which is really a lot for our tiny show. So thank you for everybody who has actually watched the, sh the video, but please also continue to share it. And remember, voting is so important if you're in Seattle, particularly in this climate, when the federal government is making laws that are uh, adverse to what the citizens should be seeing from the federal government. And the only way to protect us is really with local um, leadership. So 
this election truly is one of the most important ones in this in this day and age. And if you're in Seattle, I would love for you to make sure that you get your ballot in before August 1. And if you are deciding which good candidate to choose from, because they're good, good and good, um, you know, this this video might actually help you. So a huge shout out to all the candidates who attended, to our sponsors, Tasveer, Wicked Karma, Desi 1250 and Watson Immigration Law. My team honestly was just working around the clock to make sure this event was, um, you know, ran smoothly. So thank you to each and every one of them. And uh, a, a big, big news for all of you, whether you're immigrants or not, the driving law, the new driving law went into effect yesterday, um, or uh, sorry, on Sunday. And honestly, it is so important that you understand what you can do with your phone in the car or not because as immigrants um, if you are from the Desi community and um, a lot of you are immigrants we are finding that people's visas are being revoked right Tim if you have committed a criminal um, offense uh, people's visas are being recalled you have to go back to the embassies so much can happen if you do not follow the law and we obviously do not want to see that so understand what that is. If you've just tuned in, this is Tamina Talks Immigration on Desi 1250 AM. Thank you so much for joining us. So now to our wonderful guest. Um, we have here Tim Warden-Hertz. Thank you so much for being here today. Um, before I start chatting with him about a lot of things, um, let me please tell you about him. Tim is the directing attorney for the Tacoma Office of the Northwest Immigrants' Rights Project. Prior to joining NERP in 2013, Tim was a legal director of the immigration law programs at Catholic Social Services in Fall Rivers, Massachusetts, a staff attorney with the Farm Worker Division at Georgia Legal Services, and a fellow attorney in the Immigration Unit at Greater Boston Legal Services. He received his undergraduate degree from Stanford University and his JD from New York University School of Law. Welcome, Tim. Thank you for having me. Thank you. You know, I as I was reading your bio, it made me understand how much um, public service you've actually done uh, in the field of immigration. And, you know, your experience, particularly in this climate, is yeah. just so important. So thank you. Yeah. No, thank you. And I mean, I feel so lucky to have be able to do the work that I do, and 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 I, it has been sort of all that I've done uh, in in my career, and and yeah, I, every day I'm sort of thankful that I get to do it. You know, before I talk about the stuff that I really want to chat to you about, what has your feeling been about this year? Because you know, you the the people that you're serving day in day out are the ones that are particularly affected by this administration. How how are you seeing things, and how's your day to day looking? Yeah, it's been, I think it's been, it's been a really hard year. I mean, I think, you know, so, so in Tacoma, we work primarily with folks who are detained at the Northwest Detention Center. Um, and, and it has been a pretty dramatic change um, starting in January. So just the level of enforcement locally. I mean, the detention center has been, you know, there's room for close to 1600 people. It's been fairly close to, to full for the last several years, right? So this isn't um, something that's brand new, but uh, but the level of enforcement in local communities has really risen. And so, you know, I think we have felt, you know, working with, um, you know, it's family members, it's local communities reaching out to us um, with lots of questions when their family members are detained, um, doing our best to try to answer some of those questions. Um, we've been sort of redoubling our efforts in terms of getting out in the community and doing you know, your rights presentations um, so that folks have, have some information about what's going on, about 
what their sort of constitutional rights are in terms of not talking to immigration if they come, not opening the door. So, so there's a lot of different pieces that have really, that we've had to shift as enforcement shifted. Um, but I think there's just so much fear and, um, and so much um, hardship, I think. I mean, again, mm-hmm. that has happened before, but it's sort of increased mm-hmm. um, as we see sort of local communities being torn apart by immigration. You know, I, I want to make sure I ask this question before we move on. People m- might watch you and w- may want to contact you. Can they do that? Yeah, yes. How, how can they do that? Yeah, so I, the easiest way, so if you have a family member who gets detained, um, the easiest way to get in touch with us, there's two. Um, the, the easiest way is just to check our, our the website, so nerp.org. Uh, there's a sort of button on the left that says get help, and that has all the different numbers for our various offices. So we have offices in Seattle, um, in Tacoma, in Wenatchee, and Granger. So depending on sort of where you're located, uh, there's different sort of numbers to call to get in touch with us. If you have a family member who's detained, it has our, our number there. It's a voicemail line to leave a message. You can also email us um, the email, the best email to reach us uh, for sort of a referral for someone who's detained is just Tacoma at uh, NERP.org. So N-W-I-R-P dot O-R-G. Um, okay. So just Tacoma at NERP. And that'll just go to the um, to folks who are doing that scheduling for folks uh, okay. who get detained. Again, we're not able to guarantee representation for everyone. There's just a huge gap between our resources and, and the need. Of course. Uh, you know, you don't get an appointed lawyer if you can't afford one in immigration mm-hmm. court, which is a problem in and of itself. But mm-hmm. um, in the meantime, we do always try to make sure we meet with everyone who's detained. Uh, if they're interested in meeting with us, uh, over the course of a year, we see somewhere between three and 4,000 people wow. at the detention center. So that's a lot. A lot that's of folks. a lot. Well, if you just tuned in, we're talking to attorney Tim Warden-Hertz, who is uh, the directing attorney at Tacoma, uh, the Tacoma Office of Northwest Immigrants' Rights Project. So I wanted to talk to you about a particularly new law that you know you worked very hard on, and it passed, so congratulations on that. Give us a little bit of background on it and what it is. Sure. So I guess to start, you know, the federal immigration law um, provides you know, some protections for certain types of immigrants. And, and one protection that it provides um, is, is something called special immigrant juvenile status. And so that's a, it's a protection, uh, it's sort of a two-step process. You apply for this special immigrant juvenile visa, and then if that is approved by immigration, then you can, you can apply to get a green card. Uh, so it's an it's a important protection. And, and the population that it protects is young people under the age of 21 who've been abandoned, abused, or neglected by one or both of their parents. Does it matter what country they're from? It doesn't matter what country they're from. Um, it's generally for folks who are undocumented, although it could also be someone who's on a visa um, or an expired visa. Um, and so, so any, anybody within that age group? Anyone within that age group, again, who fits that sort of abandoned, abused, or neglected by one or both of their parents. So. So what the law that we that we uh, helped pass, what that did is essentially the first step of getting the visa is you have to go to a state court that has jurisdiction over juveniles and get the judge there to confirm that yes, you have been abandoned, abused, or neglected by one or both of your parents and that it's in the best interest of uh, the, the, the youth, the child, to remain in the United States. So the idea being, I think, in the federal law when Congress passed this, is that you know that's something that state courts are particularly good at, right? Sort of best interest, sort of doing the fact finding around just that first step: is the person has this young person been abandoned, abused, or neglected? Um, and so, and then after you got that, you still then have to apply to immigration. And they're going to look at all this other thing. So, so just getting the state court piece doesn't give you anything necessarily, but it, but it's a necessary step. And so there was this gap in Washington state where young people um, 
18, 19, or 20 would be eligible for the federal law, which goes up until the age of 21, but they weren't eligible to get into a state court in Washington state as a juvenile because at the age of 18 in Washington state, you became an adult. And so you weren't ah. able to get into state court. And so um, other states of, around the country had, had recognized that sort of gap, right? It's, it's the federal law does go up until 21, but state courts were sort of limiting the ability for young people who've been abandoned or neglected. So this especially sort of vulnerable set of young people had limited their ability to get in and get that necessary first step done in state court. And so, so sort of seeing some of those models from around the country um, and seeing that if you happen to be a young person in Washington, you were cut out from this protection. Um, you know, we, we, we talked with, uh, with legislators um, and, um, and, and they, they proposed uh, this, this change in the law, which, which is to some extent limited. I think it has a you know, really important effect for this group of people. But what it does is just open state courts for a new type of guardianship. It's called a vulnerable youth guardianship. Uh, and that's for, again, for, for young people uh, who would be eligible, sort of otherwise eligible for special immigrant juvenile status. Um, and, uh, and it gives them access to the state courts when they're 18, 19, or 20. So what was happening to these children, 18, 19, 20-year-olds, before this law passed? Yeah, they, they weren't able to access this protection. I mean, so it was really all, remarkable. completely? Yeah, yeah, completely sort of cut out from the federal protection. I mean, you, you would sort of, you know, if we, when we came across people, I mean, we would, and that's sort of what motivated this, you know, is that we were, we'd been meeting with clients and, and young, you know, the attorneys in our office meeting with young people. And, you know, when we saw someone who was 17, you know, we, we would then think, oh, okay, this is something maybe we can do, and we would examine whether we could go to state court and whether this case qualified. But someone who just happened to have just turned 18, you know, and we had clients who, you know, we saw them the day they turned 18, right, and it's too late at that point. Oh, that's heartbreaking. Uh, under the previous law, exactly. And so that, you know, seeing those cases sort of, you know, certainly motivated us recognizing that gap uh, in the state law and sort of how the state law didn't line up with federal law oh, sort of led to, led to this push for the change. Well, thank you so much. I mean, I, even I didn't appreciate how, how um, important and impactful that that is. Have you been able to find a lot of these children that were not qualified before? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, the interesting thing is actually the law just went into effect on Sunday. Oh, congratulations. So also with the driving yes, law, I yes. think there probably were a few that yeah. day. But yeah, so um, so I don't think one has yet been, been okay. filed, uh, but they, I'm sure soon will be. So the forms for the, for the, um, uh, for the vulnerable youth guardianship are are being finalized, I think, within the sort of formal process by the uh -huh. courts to formalize forms, and um, and and we have a number of clients lined up in our office. I know that there's uh, private immigration attorneys around the state who've been reaching out to us yeah. with questions because they also have clients. So so we hope soon to be seeing a number of these filed across the state. Um, because, yeah, I mean, we think there are a certain number of young people who, who really will benefit That's you know, great. Well, whoever gets it first, we'd love to have them ho here at the show right. uh, with right. you and, you know, just show that this is this is the newest green card holder who would actually contribute to our future of the country. Exactly. You know? Right. So what you've explained a lot of what I really wanted to know. Um, it seems like a lot of education was necessary for lawmakers to be able to understand what did you have to do to make it actually um, understood and then somebody had to create a law or right. bill for it. What, what went behind the scenes? Yeah, well, I think it was, I mean, a lot of work with various partners. So, you know, we partnered um, with, 
uh, Columbia Legal Services, um, another uh, not-for-profit organization uh, that does legal work around the state, mostly not around immigration work, but they do a lot of work with, uh, with young people. And so I think they also sort of saw this piece of it um, and how important it would be uh, for folks that they represent. And so, um, so we partnered with them, and I think that we were able, I think talking to lawmakers, and, and I think you're right, sort of explaining it to them, because it is sort of a very sort of technical uh, switch. Um, and I think that one of the things that was really um, encouraging for us as we did this work is sort of how bipartisan the process ended up being. Um, you know, I think lawmakers uh, on both sides of the aisle ended up playing a really important role. I mean, the, the lead sponsors on both the House and the Senate, you know, happened to be Democrats, but, um, but there was a Republican, the Republican chair of the, the, uh, the Senate Judiciary Committee, um, Steve Oban from, uh, from like Lakewood, the Tacoma area, played a really key role in, in, in sort of getting it a hearing in the in committee and then, and then pushing it through. So, I mean, it, I think once people understand the fact that federal law already permits this, right? Mm -hmm. That this isn't um, some sort of local radical move, right? That this is something that, and, and what was happening was just that if you happen to be a Washington resident, that you were cut out from this federal protection. Um, I think lawmakers really recognized sort of both how unfair that was mm -hmm. and how, um, you know, this was a, such a particularly vulnerable group of people and people who really have, could have this really bright future in our state mm -hmm. um, to contribute. And so I think both of those pieces really played a major role in, in pushing for this really broad support. I mean, I think it passed with, with very few uh, no votes. You know, um, listeners and viewers typically think of lawyers sitting behind a desk or maybe arguing in court. They don't necessarily realize that you know, this is something that could be done. You're making laws as well or helping make laws. From the time that you recognize that this is a problem and this could be a relatively easy fix, so to speak, from from that time onwards to now, what would you say is a time frame? Yeah, so I don't think that our time frame is the recommended time frame. So I think uh, people who do um, or have more experience doing work in Olympia um, sort of are right now, right, in the process of really working up what the what the bills they, they think should happen or, or should propose or talk to lawmakers um, about what that looks like for next session right which starts in January so the work starts very early mm -hmm. um, we uh, sort of you know sort of as a team inside NERP right so talking to especially our lawyers who work who were you know focused on, on young people sort of came to this realization in, in around November um, quickly put together ah. so yeah so pretty late in the game bills are generally uh, introduced uh, sort of dropped as proposals in in December. So so we were quite late to the game. Um, I think we, um, but but we were pretty determined to make this happen. And so so we worked really hard uh, to to put together um, sort of information on this and really um, get it out to lawmakers early um, or as early as we could. Um, and then and then again sort of collect partners like Columbia Legal Services and others who really helped us. Um, with their experience, they have sort of a deeper experience in Olympia than, than we had. And so, um, so yeah, it was a really sort of uh, exciting and busy and rushed time trying to push this through in, uh -huh. in what is, yeah, again, certainly not the recommended time frame uh, for doing a bill like this. But congratulations. And, you know, a big shout out to NERP as well, the Northwest Immigrants Rights Project to friends and viewers and listeners, if you don't know about them, please go and find them on, on the website nwirp.org. And we've had Jorge on the show in the Great, past. Yeah. Um, you, you guys are doing a incredible work. And never has NERP been more important than now, actually. 
you know, fighting the administration. You know, there was something in the news yesterday, the, co the court case. Can you tell our listeners and viewers a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. So um, I guess the, sh the short story is, is that, um, you know, we helped many people, um, both folks who were detained uh, uh, out of our Tacoma office and also, you know, you know 20,000 people uh, around the state uh, in all sorts of different ways. And so Again, we, we, we focus a lot of our resources on directly representing people, right? So going to court, doing immigration filings with, with low-income folks who, who aren't able to hire uh, an immigration attorney. Um, but, but the need in immigration court is dramatically sort of outstretches the capacity that we have um, to serve folks. And so some of the work that we do is helping people um, who we aren't able to represent at least do some basic stuff to be able to pursue their cases themselves. So some of that might be helping them fill out an application, say an asylum application. Some of that might be helping someone file a change of venue, which means moving your court. So some people, um, you know, they had their court scheduled in Texas, but they've moved to Washington State and just don't know the process of how do I, how do I ask the court to move my case from Texas up to the Seattle Immigration Court, right? So they don't miss court. They want to be able to go to court, but they can't afford to mm -hmm. fly back or drive back down to mm -hmm. Texas. And and so we've been helping people with those kinds of, uh, of, of processes for, for, for many years now, um, as do many other organizations around the country. Um, and I think doing a, you know, a really good job at that. Um, and then uh, just uh, a few months ago, the Department of Justice um, sent us a letter at ordering us to cease and desist doing this kind of work for people unless we were able to, to fully file a, an entry of appearance to fully represent them in immigration court. And that's an impossibility, right? We, we just don't have the resources to do that for these many, many thousands of people. And, and so, and, and this felt sort of confusing. Again, we've been doing this work for, mm -hmm. for, for many, many years. Many organizations around the country have been doing this work. This letter was only sent to us, um, to the Northwestern Human Rights Project. Um, and so um, sort of recognizing the damage this would do to the work that we do, to the folks that we serve, um, we, we filed a case in, in federal court asking a federal judge to stop um, that cease and desist letter, to, sorry, mm -hmm. cease and desist, the cease and desist mm -hmm. letter, but, and um, sort of arguing a few different things, some free speech um, uh, arguments actually that, that are sort of free speech options. Um, and also that, um, uh, you know, that, that, that this was sort of really restricting our ability to, to practice uh, as, it, as immigration. Is officers. it right that if, if they had won against NERP, mm -hmm. it could have been applied to many other organizations? That's right. And that was a big worry. And so organizations from around the country sort of stepped up mm -hmm. to, to write letters and to support our case. Um, and so, so the case is called NERP v. Sessions. Um, and, and so a few weeks ago, um, we'd won a temporary restraining order, which put that on hold. And then just yesterday, the federal judge uh, found that, um, that there was a, a, a sort of preliminary injunction. So the, the cease and desist letter is on hold sort of until the case finishes. So, so that could be a little while now. And the judge actually had, has extended it sort of nationwide Fantastic. to all not-for-profit organizations Fantastic. doing this work. Which means that the, the administration can't write another letter to somebody else saying exactly. stop it. Exactly. Wonderful. Right. Well, thank you so much for doing that work. And, you know, uh, our listeners and viewers know that uh, I'm part of the American Immigration Lawyers Association, and then we often do clinics, uh, you know, in collaboration with you guys and other organizations, and it would have affected us 
podcast too. That's right. I believe. So thank you so much for saving the day on that and of course the the new law that you passed uh, or helped pass um so you know it's it's really important that we have people like yourself in the community so thank you for what you're doing uh, and thank you for being on the show and when you do have a, the first successful case under the new law we'd love to have you back on the show Great. Well, thank you very much. Well, of course. Well, listeners and viewers, this is Tim Warden-Hertz from NERP, who was here talking about the new law that just passed to help youth, uh, immigrant youth in, in Washington state. Um, if you have any questions or comments, you can always follow up with us on the Facebook live feed, but also email us at info at Watson Immigration Law or even at the studio at contact at dc1250am.com. You know, we, we don't have a lot of time left, I'm afraid. We will be here again next Tuesday, bright and early at 10 o'clock, talking immigration and much more. So thank you so much for joining us. Uh, wish you a wonderful week and see you next Tuesday. Bye-bye.